Well, good morning, uh, Jubilee Zoomers. Uh, and as I say that, it, it seems to me that would be a very apt name for an American baseball team. The Jubilee Zoomers. Sounds good. It rolls off the tongues. And it's, it's a great privilege and pleasure uh, for me to be here with you on your final Zoom Sunday. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure you're all looking forward to getting back to Macmillan next week. And, uh, and then in September, on to your new meeting place. Uh, exciting days are lying ahead for you. And we're going to continue with our talking, uh, our looking today into the book of Ephesians. And, uh, but before we just look at the scripture, uh, I want you to come on an imaginary journey with me. So here's what we're going to do in our imaginations. We're going to shoot over to Darlington Station. And we're going to get on a, a Zoomer train and we're going to Zoom down to London. So I hope you're with me. We're in London. And what we're going to do, we're going to go to Buckingham Palace first. And we're going to watch the changing of the guard. And uh, what an impressive sight it is. I don't know whether you've actually been able to do that. But it's a wonderful thing when the, the guards come marching down from their barracks with a band at the front and they uh, change over the guards in those sentry boxes at the palace. Amazing, wonderfully disciplined group of men. But the reason I've asked you to come with me on this imaginary journey is this. If I asked you, could you describe one of those guards? Whether it's a Coldstream guard or a Welsh guard or any of the other regiments of guards, could you describe what you see and of course what we see is the red tunic the scarlet tunic we see black trousers with a stripe down the side we see that bare skin on the head we see the shoes highly highly polished and each of us could describe what a guard looks like even if we've never actually seen one in the flesh we've seen pictures and films and as we come on to our scripture today, what we find is the Apostle Paul very cleverly uh, doing the same thing with the Christians there in Ephesus as he writes to them. You see, they all knew what a Roman soldier looked like, just as we know what the guards look like in this country. And we've got a picture of a Roman soldier, and there he is. And you can see he's in, uh, he's in battle mode. He's looking very fierce and uh, he's looking uh, fit and ready to fight. And what the Apostle Paul has done here is he knows that the Christians in Ephesus understand what that Roman soldier looks like. So as we go on to the scripture, which we'll read together, we'll see that he likens the Roman soldier to the Christian's battle with the enemy. Today we're talking about spiritual warfare. So let's look at the scripture. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, says Paul, that's after all the other things he said. He's talked about children and parents and slaves and masters and wives and husbands. And then he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his 
mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So the Apostle Paul is telling us something here that we really need to understand. When we become a Christian, when we become a child of God, a follower of Jesus, part of his great family, part of his great army, we are in a battle. And it's not like a battle. It is a battle. And so interesting in the the first few verses uh, of this scripture, four times the apostle says, stand. Stand your ground, he says in verse 13. Stand firm then in verse 14. When the enemy comes against us, and he will, and if it's not yet been your experience that the enemy has tried to uh, come against you, I can promise you that it will. Uh, We've got an enemy and he's active, but we mustn't overplay his strength or his ability or his power. What we need to do is we need to know our enemy. We need to analyze what his tactics are and we need to use our weapons so that we can win victories. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, so that we may not be exploited by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And the apostle Peter writes, stay alert. Watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You see, when you find yourself under pressure from the enemy, you're not alone. It's something that happens to all of us to some degree or another. And uh, 
the Apostle Peter there says, this is true of believers throughout the world, uh, this same standing and fighting for the gospel. So let's have a look at some of the armour that he tells us we should put on. The first thing he says is that we should put on the belt of truth in verse 14. Now, what does a belt do? A belt holds everything together. And uh, in the case of the soldier, it's holding his tunic and it's binding his, uh, his, his uh, loin cloths and all the other stuff that he's got on. It binds everything together, this belt. And uh, we've, in our house, recently had quite a number of different workmen in doing different jobs. We've had electricians and plumbers and carpenters and bricklayers. And nearly all of them uh, seem to have a belt with lots of pockets and hooks on. And so they're carrying the tools of their trade around their belt rather than having to carry it around in a bag. And so it was true of the Roman soldiers that they had hooks on this belt. They could hang their shield on it. They could hang their sword up on it. And what that did was it freed their hands for work other than fighting. But they were always ready. They always could just reach down and grab their weapons when they needed them. And so Paul is telling us here that the truth of the gospel must be foundational in our life, whether we're fighting or whether we're working. The truth of the gospel is what binds everything together, like that belt that holds everything up. So let's not forget the belt of truth, the truth of the gospel. The next thing that the apostle says in verse 14 is that we need the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers our heart and protects our heart. And in Romans 10.10 we read, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And in Philippians 4.7 it says, the peace of God which passes understanding will guard your heart. You see, one of the real weapons which our enemy will use is guilt. And the, the breastplate protecting our heart protects us from guilt. It's one of the devil's most effective fiery darts. He will dredge up in you and in me the guilt of past sins. Even though they've been confessed, even though we've repented, and even where we know that they've been forgiven, Satan will still try to dredge them up, to bring our memories, to bring them to our memories, to hurt us, to cripple us, to slow us down, and to make us less effective for the kingdom. We must protect our hearts from the attacks of the enemy. And there are some differences in the way that God deals with us and the devil deals with us. And here are a few. God convicts us in love, but Satan accuses us in hatred. God convicts us of present sin, but Satan brings up past sins, those that have already been dealt with. And God's conviction leads to devotion. Satan's influence leads to depression. With God, 
we have devotion. If we're not careful with Satan, we have depression. So the breastplate of righteousness, guarding our heart, very, very important. And then in verse 15, the apostle goes on to talk about feet shod with the gospel of grace. A strange expression, really. And if you think about the Roman soldier, he needed a firm foundation. And so the soldiers wore thick leather sandals attached with thick straps. And on the bottom were hobnails, shards of metal like cleats that stood out from the bottom of the sandals and helped him to grip. We often talk about hobnail boots in, in our modern day. The Romans had hobnail boots even before we invented the expression. And what did it do, these hobnails, these sandals, what did it do to the soldier? Well, the first thing it did was it gave him stability. The, the hobnails helped him to keep his footing and kept him from being knocked over. It made him sure-footed. It gave him a firm foundation. And if we're sure of our faith, that's what gives us stability. We must be stable. No matter what the devil throws at us, we need to be stable. The op opposite of stability is instability. And it's interesting that in James 1.8, it says that a double-minded man is unstable, not only in one way, but in all his ways. And so that means that we must keep our faith fixed on Jesus. We mustn't allow ourselves to be double-minded, to, to allow our thinking, our behavior uh, to move away from following Jesus. That way we can keep our stability. The second thing that the Roman soldier's sandals did was to give him mobility. Caesar needed his soldiers to have these proper shoes so that they could move quickly when the occasion rose. See, they, they weren't sandals like we commonly see around these days, which are often plastic flip-flops. They were firm, uh, firmly fixed to their feet and enabled them to quickly move when the order came to do something. But when the apostle talks about feet shod with the gospel of grace, what he also means is those shoes, our feet, will give us an opportunity. So there is stability, there is mobility, but there's also opportunity. We need to have the readiness to move when we want to carry the message. There's a very famous verse in Isaiah, which many of us will know, because feet are funny things, aren't they? They're not particularly attractive things, really. <laughs> Even our own feet sometimes are a little bit unattractive. But in Isaiah 52, 7, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. You and I, if we're part of the church, part of the, the kingdom of God, we have got beautiful feet. What a wonderful thing. Not necessarily the ones we look at at the bottom of the bed, but feet spiritually that give us the opportunity to carry the message to others. And next, the apostle goes on 
to talk about the shield of faith in verse 16. And it's interesting that having spelt out these other things, the belt of truth and the breastplate and the feet, he then goes on to say, in addition to all of this, as well as all these other things, you need the shield of faith. Because the shield protects us from attack. Now, you might remember, if you've seen these pictures of Roman soldiers, they had a big shield that was slightly curved. So when fiery arrows came, they were deflected off because of the curve on the shield. But more importantly, which is what the apostle refers to, <coughs> enemies of the Roman armies would often fire arrows with flaming rags on the end. And the Roman soldiers soaked their shields in water so that if those arrows did hit the shield, the flames were extinguished. So often, water is an analogy of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And so if we imagine the water of the Holy Spirit added to the faith that we carry, what an effective shield that would be. We can deflect the flaming arrows, as the Apostle Paul says. So how do we develop this very important faith? Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes from finding out what God says in this, in this book, the Bible. Because it doesn't matter what the enemy will tell us. It doesn't matter how much he's going to try and dredge up past stuff. It doesn't matter how much he's going to come and accuse us of being a failure. The word of God is what we stand on. And it's so, so important. And there's something very interesting, too, about the shield. The shield that the Roman soldiers carried was not only an individual protection, but it was a corporate protection. And so often a squadron, a squad, or whatever is the right term for a group of Roman soldiers, when they were under attack, would lock their shields together and advance behind them so that there was a corporate uh, de um, defence, as it were, from the enemy. And even if the enemy's arrows were coming down from above, they locked their shields over their heads so that they could not be penetrated by the enemy's arrows. So our shield of faith is so important for us individually, but it's also so important that our shields of faith are locked together. And we go forward as a body of people against the enemy, locked together and sheltered and shielded with the faith uh, that he can give to us. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. You know, during the last, what, 18 months during this pandemic time, it's been very, very easy for our minds to become affected. And we've moved into an unknown. And often uh, we've not known what was going to happen. We've not known, is there another wave coming? 
Will it affect me? Will it affect my family? Will it affect my friends? There's an unknown about the whole thing. And, uh, you know, so often the unknown can lead to anxiety. And if we leave anxiety to flourish and fester on its own, very soon that anxiety becomes fear. And fear can control our lives. So the helmet of salvation guards our minds. When we are become a Christian, we become a new creation, the Bible says. That means every part of us is renewed. And we know that the head is potentially the easiest part to be damaged. We know, don't we, that cyclists and motorcyclists and workmen and policemen and firemen and soldiers, part of what they do every day is to wear a helmet. Because we know that if the head is damaged, the whole person is damaged. If you've never read a book by Dave Holden called Battle of the Mind, if you can still get it, it's really, really worth reading. You see, if the head is damaged physically, the whole body is hurt. In the spirit, if the mind is damaged, the whole person is hurt. So that's what the helmet of salvation does. We must cling to our salvation and use it as a protection to guard our mind. Some interesting things about the mind. There is a power of the mind. There is a power in a disciplined, diligent mind. There's a power to live life, a power to create, a power to design, a power to visualize. There's power in the mind. There's also potential in the mind. We have the potential to change what we think. Romans 12.2 in the New Living Translation says, don't become like the people of this world. Instead, change the way you think. Then you will always be able to determine what God really wants, what is good, pleasing and perfect. So there's a power in the mind, there's potential in the mind, but we need to be aware our enemy, the devil, would love for us to have pollution of the mind. The devil would love us to dwell and concentrate on negative stuff. He would love our minds to be filled with things like hatred, impure thoughts, malice, jealousy, greed, envy, all these things. You know, there is, it is true that there is a stage in things that can be damaging to us. What we conceive in our minds, if we believe in our hearts, we can receive in our life. So if we believe, conceive good things, things of the spirit, that's what we will receive in our life. If we conceive of bad things, like these things I mentioned, that is what we will receive in our life. So the mind 
must be protected, which is what the helmet of salvation is for. And then Paul goes on to say, the next item of weaponry is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In this list, the sword is the only offensive weapon. The preceding things were all defensive, but now we have an offensive weapon. And a wonderful example to us of the sword of the spirit being the word of God is Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Recorded for us amongst other places in Matthew chapter 4. Satan attacks, Jesus defends. How did he defend? He quoted the word of God. Satan comes along and says, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. What's Jesus' response? It is written. Man should not dwell by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then as the temptations went on, that was Jesus' defense. It is written. The word of God. See, the word of God is stronger than any temptation. And you and I will suffer temptations. We will know temptations, every one of us, in one form or another. And instead of giving in to temptation, we need to go back to our faith. And what does God say? It's interesting that the word word in the Greek is often logos, a word we probably many of us know. But when we're talking about it is written, the word of God, they're a different Greek word, rima, and that actually means the sayings of God. So Jesus, when he stood against the devil, was saying, this is what God says. It doesn't matter what you say. This is what God says. See, the promises of God, they become our swords. That's what the apostle is saying here. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharp. You remember the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and preached that sermon that convicted so many people? Scripture records for us in Acts chapter 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, what shall we do? See, the word of God that Peter was expounding cut to the heart. It was quick, it was powerful, it was sharp. And when you and I present the gospel, we are presenting the word of God. And other people will find, however unskilled, unschooled we might be, the word of God is sharp and powerful and cuts to the heart. Then Paul goes on to say, after he's outlined all these various weapons and armors, he says, and pray in the spirit. And this is what he says, on all occasions, 
with all kinds of prayers. That means your prayers and my prayers are all important. We won't necessarily all pray the same prayers or the same kind of prayers or use the right words. But they're all important because Paul says, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, all of our prayers are important, whatever form they take. And sometimes we can get a bit overawed by others and think, oh, I'm not very good at putting words together and I'm not very good at expressing what I really feel. It doesn't matter. If we express what we feel, here's what Paul says. We should pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. All our prayers are important. So we need to bear that in mind, whatever form they might take. And we've got to add our prayers to our weapons. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you and I, if you're a Christian here this morning, we're part of the worldwide church of Jesus with millions and millions of fellow believers. And have you ever thought that this church that we're part of was burst in a prayer meeting following the resurrection? Acts 1 verse 14. This is just after the resurrection. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. The church was burst in a prayer meeting. What an important thing that makes. And when Paul tells us to pray in the spirit, that means we are to pray with a definite dependence upon the Holy Spirit's power. Effective prayer has to be offered in humility, with faith and an expectation of fulfilment. We're probably many of us familiar with the words recorded in James 5.16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. <clears throat> then Paul gets a bit personal. And now he says in verse 19, pray also for me. What did he want them to pray for him, Bill? This is what he wants them to pray about, that words may be given to me. Words may be given to me. You know, whether that's in a, a ministry context or whether that's in a conversation over the garden fence or at the school gates or in the office or in the factory, this is what we ought to pray for one another, that words may be given to us. How many times do we walk away from a situation and we say, I wish I'd said that. There was an opportunity there and I missed it. I wish I'd responded by saying this or that. We should be praying for one another, just as Paul has requested, that words may be given to us. And also, Paul goes on to say this, and also pray in verse 20, that I may declare the word fearlessly as I should. Is that your prayer for yourself, for others? 
that we can be fearlessly proclaiming the gospel, fearlessly uh, setting forth the truth of the love of God in Jesus, fearlessly, because often we're fearless in all sorts of things. But often when it comes to talking to others about Jesus and the truth of the gospel, we experience fear rather than fearlessness. We don't want to be embarrassed. What would they think? What would they say? Will I look a fool? So Paul's prayer here is, says, pray that I may declare the word fearlessly. Then he goes on to say, as I should. This is what we should do. Proclaim the word fearlessly. So in conclusion, Paul's message is right from the beginning. Don't give up. Fight on and stand. Stand on the truth. You know, when we stand on our ground, we also take ground for the kingdom. And so as we think of this Roman soldier and all the equipment he's got, Paul is telling us, We've all got the same equipment. The Roman soldiers, the Roman armies were very, very successful. And if we adopt all the bits of armour that have been set out here, we also will be very successful. Not in fighting another army, not in taking over countries and nations, but in resisting the devil. He will come along and he will prod and he will poke and he will try to affect you. But the fact of the matter is we have to be very careful not to attribute to the devil power that he doesn't have. See, God is everywhere. The devil isn't. God knows everything the devil doesn't. God sees everything the devil doesn't. He does not have the power that we often accidentally attribute to him. We have the victory over whatever he can do. See, it's not like a battle. It is a battle. That doesn't mean that it has to be painful and we all get wounded and hurt. But it does mean we need to be aware. And it means that we need to stand just as the apostle has told us to. Even when circumstances seem not to be saying the same thing, even when we're surrounded by circumstances which seem bad, and we can't work out, well, why is it happening like this? We need to stand on the truth of the gospel and exercise our faith. The breastplate to guard our hearts, the helmet to guard our minds, the belt to tie things together, the shoes uh, that we can be stable and we can move quickly when we need to. They're all so important. And finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Stand, says Paul. And having done everything, stand. 
He says it four times in one verse. Stand. So important that we don't get knocked sideways by our enemy. We don't want to be scared of this battle. It's not that we want to talk about a battle to try and make people nervous. We just need to know there is a battle, but we also need to know that in Jesus, we've got the victory all the time, all the time, no matter what the devil tries to do. As we just conclude this morning, I, I just felt God was, was speaking to me about one or two of us, maybe even this morning, that have become aware of the enemy's influence on us. And I would just love to pray for one or two people, if that's okay. I, 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 got a, I just had a sense that as I was reading some of the things through earlier on that the pollution of the mind can bring, I just felt that there, there's, a, there's a man here and you identified with the thinking of impure thoughts. Just as I read it out, it clicked with you and you realised that sometimes that's sometimes where you're at. And I'd love to pray with you and just pray that the Holy Spirit will enable you to stand and change your thinking so that you know the power of the mind and the potential of the mind, but not the pollution of the mind. And I thought, felt God was saying there are others that are also associated with this whole mindset thing. And there are some who you realize that actually in your mind, you're envious too much of other people. I think it's some ladies who, who feel jealousy about other women. I think particularly there is a lady watching today and you feel jealous of other women who seem to be able to dress better they always look good and you don't think you always do and the result of that is you're envious of someone else and god wants to deal with that with you this morning he wants to help you through that he wants to renew your mind so that you can dislodge that envy and that jealousy let's just pray together right now as we finish Lord Jesus, you know each of us probably better than we know ourselves. You know each of us what we think, what we are like. You know us when we're in the quiet places all on our own. We think we might be alone, but with you we're never alone. I want to pray, Lord, for those of us who have been watching now that are aware of some of these things that the enemy has had an effect in. And in the, your name, Lord Jesus, we stand against our enemy. Just as the Apostle Paul has told us, we stand on the truth of the word of God and we resist the enemy because your word tells us that if we resist him, he just runs away. <laughs> And as we're in this battle, as we're talking about spiritual warfare, give us the grace in the Holy Spirit, Lord, to resist our enemy and see him 
run away. Thank you, Lord, so much. Hallelujah. Amen.